0: Hey, Blaine from DTC Pod here. And today we've got two amazing AI tools for you guys to check out. So, AI is obviously eating the world. And these two by HubSpot, where you're really going to love. So, the first one's called Content Assistant. Basically, helps you create amazing content, which matters more today than ever. Everyone's creating content, so you've got to stand out. Um, with HubSpot's AI powered Content Assistant, you can brainstorm, create, and share content of Flash all inside a super easy to use CRM. So, you know, think things like, Brainstorming blog ideas, blog outlines, drafting copy on any topic from marketing trends to media kits, or writing value props for your landing pages, prospecting emails, and more. Uh, the second one is ChatSpot, which is basically a conversational bot that sits on top of your HubSpot CRM. So it's going to automate all the manual tasks inside of HubSpot, help you engage more customers, close more deals, and scale a little bit faster. Um, so. If you want to find out more about how to use AI to grow your business, check out hubspot.com artificial intelligence. As a D2C brand, you need real-time financial visibility to save money and make better decisions. Waiting for books from slow and expensive bookkeepers that don't get e-commerce is slowing you down. Trusted by hundreds of brands, Final Loop is a real-time accounting service built by D2C founders for D2C founders. Try Final Loop completely free, no credit card required. Just visit finalloop.com slash DTCpod and get 14 days free and a two-month P&L within 24 hours with all the e-com data and breakdowns you need to crush it. What's up, DTC Pod? Today we're joined by Victor Guardiola and Jordan Hicks, the co-founders of Bowie. So guys, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the brand you guys are building, a little bit about yourselves, your background, and where you guys are at.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Bowie is a a sparkling agua fresca brand. Uh, Really, our our main drivers are building a culturally representative and better-for-you beverage company. And it was started after realizing the lack of um, health-forward Hispanic beverages uh, within the ready-to-drink beverage category Um, Just seeing, you know, all the beverages I would deem as authentic that I grew up with didn't exactly keep health in mind. So Jordan and I started tinkering with uh, the idea of uh, a clean label, Agua Fresca, one with significantly less sugar than what you would traditionally find in taquerias and and food trucks um, around Mexican restaurants. And we took that concept through um, entrepreneurship programs, a farmer's market, and finally landed on the canned version as of April of 2022.
0: Why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about your guys' specific backgrounds, right? Like, um, you know, do you guys work in jobs before this? Or was this right out of college? Like, what was, you know, tell us a little bit about the career journey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can uh, kind of bite off that to, to start. But uh, yeah, you know, I... Uh, both Victor and I came from, obviously, uh, you know, uh, we got a young start in the industry. Uh, we, we definitely started Bowie pretty much while we were in college at the time. Victor was kind of at the tail end of his, his uh, college career, and I was just about halfway through it. But, uh, you know, when we originally started kind of tinkering with the recipe, at that time I was working at a, a cocktail bar down here in Austin Um, feeling pretty burnt out, which was also around the time that I I got my job into the CPG space. I started working for a a snack bar company called Kate's Real Food at the time. Um, I just started out as kind of a local little sales rep for the area. And then uh, the roles kind of grew a little bit more and more, which were super helpful in in Bowie's early days with kind of at least getting our heads screwed on as far as, uh, you know, a path to market goes. But uh, yeah, you know, as far as CPG experience goes, it was somewhat limited. I, I worked with Kate's for about a year and a half. Um, and then before that, you know, it was just odd jobs and working at a cocktail bar for the most part.
2: Ramon, did you have something you wanted to to ask? Well, you mentioned you landed on the canned version. What was it before? The, what were you selling at the farmer's markets? And, you know, what was the product before you, you got to the current version? You want to tackle the the process? The commercial kitchen process, Jay?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when Bowie first got started, I I guess our our original recipes were kind of done technically through a soda stream, which uh, does not work very well for carbonating anything other than water. Uh, So we blew up a few of them in the uh, the R&D process, but uh, eventually we graduated to uh, some more grown-up uh, carbonation equipment that I actually stole from my uncle. He's a, he's a big homebrew nerd. Uh, so we just stole a bunch of kegs and, you know, all sorts of fun, little carbonation homebrew equipment. Uh, and then, uh, just kind of started tinkering with the recipe in the, in the, in the dorm kitchen, pretty much more or less. And then, uh, eventually when we wanted to jump into the farmer's markets, uh, we, we graduated from, uh, you know, uh, force carbonating in, in the, in the kitchens. And then, um, when we got into the commercial kitchens, it was a little bit more larger format. So we grew into these big five gallon kegs and we'd roll up to the farmer's markets, uh, with, with a, if you're familiar, they're called jockey boxes, kind of similar to a, a kegerator. Um, if you're familiar with that, but, uh, basically just, a. uh, shitty igloo cooler with some taps on it and we you know dumped a bunch of ice in there it had some coils to cool it down um and yeah we would just serve it pretty much uh like on tap uh back then so um you know served with big 16 ounce you know ice cups and and uh some fresh fruit juice agua fresca back then but yeah now we've graduated obviously to the can so not slinging uh,
2: kegs around <laughs> That's amazing. What did anything come out of like the farmers markets? I'm curious, like for people that are thinking like, oh, you know, uh, I don't know if this is a waste of time for me to start my brand this way. Like anything cool happened there?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, two, the two things we kind of wanted to uh, tick boxes on was validating product market fit to a certain degree and also self-funding the development of the business. Um, I think we, we kind of lucked out in terms of uh, product market fit, especially selling an a ice-cold beverage on tap in Austin Heat. Ramon, you've lived here. You know how, how brutal um, these summers could get. And we would roll up with this delicious watermelon, brash agua fresca, and pineapple, uh, agua fresca. And uh, we would have a, a line um, going down the, the farmer's market, Garden Creek Farmer's Market, and sell out quite often. Um, so we kind of had the validation of, oh, damn, you know, agua fresca is a, uh, popular or well-known beverage. It has a pretty high level of consumer knowledge, but more than that, I would say taking the, the cultural relevance out of it, this fruit juice forward beverage, um, with lower sugar count has likes to stand on, you know, um, absent from it being a cultural commodity and on the on the fundraising side we were not we were not printing money by any means in these farmers markets um it was a it was it was a labor of love um and to touch more on that jordan and i were still in school while while all this was going on and the farmers markets were saturday mornings and we had class friday um, so we would get out of class at like four or five. We would bust ass to the commercial kitchen late in the evening, too, because um, we, we made an agreement with the commercial kitchen provider, Herb Levy, to uh, let us in and off hours to give us a discount on rate. And we would oftentimes stay in this commercial kitchen until three or four in the morning um, go back to our apartments in West Campus, west of UT Austin, uh, where both of us lived, sleep for a couple hours, roll up to the farmer's markets, and that was the process. Um, but after about four months, COVID reared its head, and we had to bounce, you know, from the farmer's markets. We could no longer operate there, so our uh, our choice was to, you know, pursue this in the background during a pandemic while both of us had our our jobs um you know post-college where we had to then you know learn to fundraise and eventually through a trial and error for about a year raise enough funds to to get it going the next question i had for you guys is um
0: i think it's awesome that you guys were able to start this brand in college right i think a lot of college kids maybe don't know what they want to do uh they might be like looking for other jobs they might be like trying to have as much fun as possible but like you guys were obviously correct uh you guys were grinding a little bit um so what was the inspiration for you know getting something like this off the ground while you're still in school and taking that initiative to like build a brand while you're you're still an undergrad um you know tell me a little bit about that and also tell me about what was like the reception from um your friends and like peers right like is it is was everyone being entrepreneurial is that something that a bunch of people were doing was everyone else out Parting, was everyone looking for a job like just give me the breakdown of what you guys were thinking and what, what was going on in um the zeitgeist of your like college demo
1: yeah um blaine to to clarify your your first question was um why did we start this basically during during our, our undergrad okay got you yeah uh jordan and i had been friends for a really long time and both of us were really Quite entrepreneurial i would say i think we both have a a really high i guess like psychological definition of the locus of control like we feel like we can do things um and finding someone else who has that level um of confidence and assurance in themselves that is willing to give you know a, a rather ambitious idea um a try is you know really really important and i don't think jordan and i expected it like out of our friendship like whenever we met each other but we had trialed a few small entrepreneurial yeah. endeavors here and there i think Do you remember the the shitty square Space websites yeah i we'd think that uh, is for green belt, yeah Greenbelt, like web design or something yeah we would uh we just roll up to uh, a bunch of um, food trucks that didn't have websites and and pretty much you know offered a to make a, a Squarespace site for them or something, which I don't think we ended up ever getting anyone uh to pay us money to build a website, which is probably smart. But uh, yeah, you know I don't, I don't think we like we're necessarily like you know trying to you know build some crazy massive business while we're in college or something for for me and i i feel like i can speak for you a little bit on this too victor it it was kind of just you know we were we were definitely entrepreneurial and and looking for you know some side side gigs here and there because you know we both didn't come from super affluent families or anything and we're always you know needing uh some extra cash uh at any given moment while we were in college so um yeah you know we were just kind of messing around and and having fun and and just kind of you know, doing whatever was, you know, interesting to us at that time, which is kind of, I guess, like how Bowie organically kind of happened. You know, it, it, it we just kind of rolled into it and we're like, whoa, this is, this is pretty cool. We could have a fun logo and build a cool brand around this. Let's see, let's see how it works in the farmers markets and then, you know, kind of go from there because maybe one day we can get it into a can and, you know, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of organic, honestly, in in some way. Um, but, you know, we both kind of had those entrepreneurial bones in us. And, um, you know, we were just kind of rolling with it, having fun um, wherever we could. <laughs> yeah. And the, the other thing, too, is that the timing was was great. Um, uh, I didn't talk about my, my background quite yet, but I was trying to get a CPG concept um off the ground myself it was this uh shitty little poorly researched caffeinated mint concept um that i come to find i couldn't even prototype i was a i wasn't a citizen at the time and i had to get like a pill press to make these little caffeinated mints and um i was told if i did that it might make getting my citizenship a little harder Um, but this was around the time I applied into that entrepreneurship practicum at UT Austin at the school of business. Uh, and Jordan and I had reconnected, um, right around that time too. And had started talking about creating a ready to drink agua fresca right as I was entering the practicum and Jordan was, uh, getting his feet wet in sales within CPG. We were, you know, already already friends, and both of us were the only nineteen twenty year olds we knew um, in the consumer goods industry. So it was like, cool, let's see what's up. And then after the practicum, we kind of realized um, that Bowie had had some legs to stand on from a market research perspective. We had access to uh, UT Austin's market research databases, which um, they, they got it all these academic institutions have, have pretty much all the research you can imagine and we just poured into it i uh, took it through the practicum and realized damn you know this this could be not only really rewarding from you know a a cultural and a personal perspective but it could potentially be lucrative down the line like then we started hearing about all of the cpg um, exits here in town, you know. Just in Austin, there's plenty of wonderful success stories from amplified snack brands to um, sweet beef tea, Tito's, Deep Betty Vodka, Kettle and Fire. Like you, you name it. There's quite, quite yeah. C4. Yes, yeah, C4 yeah. exactly. Manish from C4 was one of the speakers at this practicum too, which was swinging way above its weight class. By the way, eight students weekly projects, and you had people like Brian Goldberg from Amplify Snack Brands, Jason uh, Schreiber from Waterloo, all these people just coming in on the weekly, and you were just presenting to them. And uh, most of the students there did not want to pursue a career in the consumer packaged goods industry. So we we got to we got to eat a little bit more than, uh, than the other students because we wanted to pursue a career in the consumer packaged goods industry.
0: Uh, so that leads me to my next question. I know we chatted a little bit about this, but was fundraising strategy for you guys, right? Like you've got it, you've kind of bootstrapped it together. It's working, you're selling in farmer's markets, people like the concept and you're like, okay, now we need some capital to turn this into a real brand. So, um, I want you guys to walk me through how, like how you determined how much money you wanted to raise, right? Like how you planned on deploying that money and then how you actually raised the money. So why don't we start with How'd you figure out how much money you wanted to raise in the first
1: place? For sure. Um, I I wish I, I could give you a meticulous answer on how we figured out how to raise that first sum of money. But uh, truthfully, those adjustments were made on the fly, too. Like, in the beginning, we thought, let's see about raising a quarter million dollars, you know, pre-product, pre-revenue. Um, but, you know, quickly after sending out our first hundred or so cold emails, we realized we likely had to change our fundraising strategy, um, a bit, uh, but to, uh, answer more of your question after the farmer's markets, uh, I had began working at a startup here in town called golden ratio. And my, my main role there was, uh, growth, uh, and product. And on the growth side, I helped, uh, the founder, which turned out to be one of my greatest mentors, uh, gentleman named Mark, Mark now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he's a good friend. And he was also a previous guest on the pod. Oh, word. Nice. yeah. Mark's awesome.
1: A great salesman. Um, like damn good salesman. And I got to see how he fundraised, how he approached, you know, um, talking to these investors sending cold emails i got to see the system be built and incorporate my ideas and as i'm on google chrome i see my investor crm right there in the top left as a shortcut and it is it is based off of um what clark was working with at that time we just made our own personal tweaks to it um from jordan's sales experience from my superhuman shortcuts (laughs) from all of uh all of that you know combined but um it was a it was quite a grind to get our first um significant investor we thought it it could have uh you know happened a bit sooner but i think it took us about nine months nine or ten months give or take i was learning the the fundraising ropes um with clark and sending a mountain of cold emails and jordan and i were taking so many calls so many meetings you know pitching the concepts not having any traction behind us just more so uh, uh an in- investment deck um that and, and even labored at, away on illustrator yeah and and even at that time like again we we didn't have any like you know uh cans to send around or ship around you know we were still very much uh incubated out of the 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 household kitchen so even like sharing samples was like a somewhat laborious process you know if like you know we got someone that we deemed uh hot enough to to get some samples sent out it was you know back to the the kitchen juicing fruit and you know using now our like counter pressure bottle system to uh to fill you know some like sh- little champagne bottles with some samples to send out and slapping a fun little sexy label on there just to make it look somewhat professional. But yeah, it's pretty tough fundraising with no traction, uh, no product that you can like really ship around, um, and like be a 20, 20, 20 or 21 year old at the time too. Um, so yeah, it took a minute. It took a minute to get, to get yeah. any sizable check. Yeah. And one, one,
0: one thing I just wanted to, to comment on is like, it's, I think the hardest time to raise money is like when you're like fresh out of college, right? Like you've got all this energy. Like I went through it, Ramon, I'm sure you've been through it, but like the hardest checks for me to raise were like my first checks and they were the ones when I was right out of college and I didn't have a job outside of like the startup that I was working on. And everyone's like, well, why are you going to do it? And I was like, cause I'm going to do it. Um. But <laughs> so I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you said it took a while till you guys got that first check, right? Like what were all the like, mess ups or screw ups you guys made along the way and what did that what was like the final pitch that kind of you started to see traction around
1: yeah i i would say um more than anything you know jordan and i hadn't fundraised before so we weren't comfortable with like the follow-up cadence it takes for example like working for for clark and then seeing you know when we eventually converted on someone um wanting to invest, like sometimes it takes it takes like a dozen follow-ups where you're attempting to add value in every follow-up, whether it's like, hey, we just got into X restaurant or hey, we just got um R one, like revision one of our can design, something along those lines that we had to get comfortable with following up with people. Um, until they were sick of it uh, at some point uh, at our you know lowest valuation um, too. And eventually you know the straw that broke the camel's back is uh, we finally got Patrick Terry from P. Terry's burger stand um, on the phone. And uh, Ramon, we talked about this a bit briefly, but anyone who's, who's lived in Austin uh, knows, um, knows how prolific uh, P Terry's is here in town and how strong that, that trademark and their, their brand is here. Um, but Jordan and I had eaten so many meals, uh, at P Terry's. Thousands, it was of dollars, thousands, thousands, thousands dollars, of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, it was a meme, you know, in, in the friend group, uh, almost. So we eventually got him, um, on the phone, uh, met up with him gave him some samples and i remember jordan and i were living together at the time at a house um on riverside and we are in the upstairs office and we're finally calling you know patrick terry um for for the for the last time and he told us all right well i'll i'll put in um i'll put in 50 grand we won't say the the valuation but i'll put in 50 grand um and we were like, uh, okay, that sounds sounds great, Patrick. Thank you so much. We'll we'll work on on getting the paperwork." And I just remember like we we hung up. We were in disbelief because the the Burger Man, the coveted yeah Burger Man, who turned out to be the most delightful person ever, wrote us our first check and allowed us to quit our jobs and fundraise um, and like pursue Bowie. So he was who is the big domino. We are really excited to announce that DTC Pod is officially part of the
0: HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals. And we're really excited about being part of the network because we're going to be able to keep growing the show, bringing you guys amazing guests, and obviously helping you guys learn from the best founders, marketers, and builders of the most successful consumer brands. So, Anyway, keep listening to DTC Pod and more shows like us on the HubSpot Podcast Network at hubspot.com slash podcast network. That's epic. Um, I, I love those stories. Like, I, I haven't even thought about this, like, in the longest time. Ramon, I don't even think I told you this story. But um, my first check was, uh, well, before I got my first check, there was the first check that didn't actually happen. So we go we go have this meeting with this guy who, owns, you know, it's like Saks Fifth Avenues, the the like department store. It's the guy that yeah. owns all of them, Richard Baker. So we go to ben his house. house in the Hamptons. I meet him. We tell him what we're working on. He's like, his whole family's there. He's like, that's an epic idea. That's amazing. I'm in for like, I don't know, like it was like a quarter. It was like a crazy amount of money. And we're like, oh, we got it in the bag. And then we like follow up. And like the guy just Never responds, and we're like, (laughs) "What the hell is this?" And I was like, "Shocked." I was, but um, that's awesome that you guys nailed it down, cold, got it dialed in. Um, and then okay, so then what it it had to like snowball the process, right? Like, where'd you go from there? What were the next steps? And then how'd you start like deploying that capital and building a company? Yeah,
1: I mean, so we, like Victor mentioned, you know, we'd been fundraising for. Felt like an eternity at that point, but um, we weren't just fundraising. We were also kind of just, you know, getting the pieces into place in the background so that once the checks and the dominoes did start to fall, uh, you know, we could be a little bit more turnkey and start flipping stuff around because I I, I don't remember when um, when, when Patrick ended up coming in, Victor, but I, I do remember it being hot and obviously, you know, wanting to jump on that uh that weather as soon as possible and get some sort of can version out there but obviously you know we didn't realize how how long that would take um so you know in, as far as like production goes uh we've been working on finding some sort of co-packing situation close to home down here in Austin um as well as starting to uh go down the path of like brand design and uh you know figuring out our brand book and everything like that so we'd been kind of vetting a few um you know uh agencies at the time to help us kind of build our brand up and then obviously trying to wrap our heads around like how to get this you know that this real fruit juice beverage that we're like hand pressing with a vitamix or whatever it was a, a a breville or i don't even remember what it was called but uh to you know a canned version that like sits on a shelf for hopefully like longer than a few months um and doesn't spoil so yeah we 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 figured out pretty quickly we needed a uh, food scientist which uh clark came in clutch again and hooked us up with the amazing food scientist who really helped us kind of get our ducks in a row as far as the commercialization of the formula um and then we we started working with a co-packer down here in austin who was just a, a, a brewer um, who had some extra line time and canning equipment that we like just convinced to uh, help us figure out how to like put this thing in a can. Like you have a canning line, you you probably know how to get this into a can and this is what our food scientists gave us. And uh, yeah, you know, just kind of jumped into it in tandem with obviously the, uh, the, the brand design of, of it all. Um, but yeah, it, it really just kicked into high gear the the commercialization component of Bowie which um, took obviously longer than we expected. Um, which is good because obviously there's tons of issues that come into play, especially when you're working in a kind of a smaller scale co packer and you you don't know what you're doing. And sometimes some of those people don't know what they're doing. The co packer we worked with, luckily, is was a genius. But uh, you know, it's it's a small facility, so there's and, you know, he doesn't have any crazy pasteurization equipment or, you know, we weren't dosing things with Velcro or anything like that. So it was very much just like figuring out how to make cans not turn into kombucha or beer um, and and make sure nothing gets cross-contaminated and everything like that. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the first big step. And luckily, we'd been working on it in the background for the past few months. So it was very, very much like, you know, we 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 had the ability to finally like move forward on like pulling trig on some of these invoices rather than being like we're still confirming with another vendor on you know a better price and stuff like that so uh it was really just like all right now to figure out how to get this thing into a can and and get it on the shelf was was the next big steps from the from the check yeah and oh go for it, victor yeah to to add to that a little bit too um after after Patrick's involvement and something I, I like reiterating to um, first time entrepreneurs who are struggling, you know, uh, fundraising, you just got to close like one significant check, and after that, the rest of the round will be a whole lot easier. So chronologically, the next investor was Mike Ripka from Torchies Tacos, which it, it's not that we had a. We were targeting restaurateurs in in particular. Uh, These gentlemen were just like kind enough and excited enough about what we were doing. They wanted to get involved. And after we closed those two, you know, the the rest of the round had uh, shaped itself and people started wanting to get more involved, but it just snowballed. And it took like one, you know, significant check to get the ball rolling on branding, pack design, commercial formulation everything else so just holding off until that you know one great thing happens um could really uh signal for a lot of progress like right around the corner i have a question how did you meet clark um i i actually believe i met him at a cpg event here in town and when i graduated during the pandemic i couldn't find a lot of job opportunities either and i knew i wanted to work in the cpg space so i just shot clark an email and at this time golden ratio was was hiring um and he was he was awesome he was like yeah come by you know see what you can do uh to help and he he hired me um on the on the spot whenever
2: i saw him but that was a cold email yeah. 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 The reason I ask is because, you know, it seems like a lot of the, a lot of the dominoes effect like happened after you met him and, you know, you can be networking with a bunch of people at a bunch of places, but really all it takes is like one person that will bring 80% of the value that can introduce you to the scientists, to the supplier, to, you don't need, um, you know, to spend most of the time networking. It reaches a point where you have to go heads down. So, um, that's that's really cool. I really like Clark. He's a great guy, and so it seems like you know that that one key to success is like finding that one person who's willing to be an open book.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah, significant significant mentorship um, has been the name of the game for us, and uh, you know more than just like using the word networking. Like, really, I think uh, what what we got good at is just making a lot of friends in the industry you know, coming up to people and being okay with uh, not trying to be the smartest person in the room or the most flushed out business concept with three-year projections off of and doing like zero in sales beforehand, just asking like, yo, like I, I need some help flushing this idea out sometimes or how should I revise my fundraising strategy? Um, being like really as humble as we can be when we have those combos, but... Clark was probably the most significant mentor um, I've had. It's a it's a short list of people that have made the resounding amount of of difference in this arc for sure. Yeah, I think
0: mentorship is is a huge one. But and one thing that you mentioned that I think is really important for like when you're thinking about mentorship or like how you find it, it's not just saying like oh I want to mentor like this guy should be my mentor. It's like going to a mentor with a specific problem. Like you had said like, oh, I need help doing X, Y, Z. And you know what that problem is. You know, that person has specific domain knowledge and then you're, you know, building a relationship, but it's also over a specific goal that they're gonna have insight into. So I think that's really important to keep in mind. Um, One thing that I wanted to, uh, that I was really excited to chat about with you guys on, on, on this pod was your branding and package design, right? Like how did it happen? It's super fresh, looks amazing. Um, your website's great. The branding's great across the board. So yeah, talk to me about not only like the inspiration for it, but like how did how you guys execute on it? What was the process like? And, and yeah. For sure.
1: Um, so that branding and package design you see took quite a while to, to reach fruition, uh, mainly because we had, you know, a couple key requirements uh, whenever designing like a, a culturally... You know, inspired brand, and we quickly realized after working with that one branding agency that we needed um, a little bit more cultural representation in the branding and design team to you know accurately communicate uh, the offering, and it makes sense logically. Like you would want someone with uh, said product's cultural origin behind branding or strategy or illustration but that's not you know often the case within these design communities if if some agencies pitch a project um of course they're going to say yes even if it's like the subculture of a culture where they have not much context for so we we realized after working with that initial agency and then we interviewed over a dozen agencies from coast to coast um And we landed on a great uh, agency called the Working Assembly based out of New York. And, uh, you know, a couple defining characteristics for them is we found that the the founder had started a program where she worked with minority-owned brands. um, And it spoke to us as founders, as founders who want to support, you know, minority-owned businesses and create a more culturally representative retail space. But apart from that, their head of brand and one of their lead designers, they were both Latino. Um, Diego, uh, who is one of their head head designers, is from South America, like he's an an immigrant. And Anthony uh, Fernandez, the the head of branding, um, he's Hispanic and he was really familiar with the culture. So when we were presented, you know, idea briefs of the four or five different creative directions They were rooted in a lot more cultural awareness than just uh, a Pinterest board with pictures of Cancun, which is what uh, we were used to um, beforehand. So it was it was a lot more thorough and it was a lot more beautiful and impactful. And that makes a huge difference um, whenever we're talking about how your packaging drives trial and the yeah, how well your product done. Uh, and that's why we kind of landed on such a culturally significant uh card motif, um, which I don't think other agencies would have been able to accomplish nearly as well. But Jordan and I both took a, a fine-tooth comb on every iteration of the branding slash package design to kind of optimize it as much as we could. And we landed on this card a card motif with a high contrast background so it, the cans are all white and they have this gorgeous little placard with hand-drawn illustrations in the center that are really communicative of the uh, flavor and the freshness of what's what's in the can itself but it took it took quite quite a while to, to land on that design variant and that specific front panel um and trademark the other question i had in terms of
0: branding was um like did you guys have any after you got the design after you were happy with it after you're like this is what we're going to use moving forward did you have any iteration on you know the label design or any of the messaging that was actually on the label um after getting either market feedback or just getting it in your hand were there any more design turns that were taken you know i i'd
1: say there there wasn't too much besides you know just like uh formulation related things that we kind of maybe adjusted here and there and and maybe like uh adding in some some different types of stickers and stuff like that on kind of the back panel but uh there were definitely some things that like uh i guess we got some feedback on and and we kind of planted our our foot in the ground uh on on some things like for example uh you know we we lead with the the flavor name in spanish with uh on on our front panel and a lot of people mostly you know more so investors and um people that were not as much consumers but more so you know uh invested in us and our success we're we're very very much in the realm that like we need to lead with the english name um and that's something that i'm i'm really glad we didn't you know end up adjusting um i i think it adds adds some uh some flair to the brand especially the front panel and it's it's a little bit interesting and you know we kind of conceded and and threw the english translation down at the bottom on on like a little banner uh down at the the butt of the can but uh yeah you know i i think there were definitely that was probably the biggest thing that i I think a lot of people were like you you should switch this um which i'm I'm really glad we didn't um because yeah you know it's it's a little different um and and it's it's uh it looks really good on the front panel more than anything uh rather than just the english translation a hundred percent and i would say the the like little the little testing we did do they're they're great like flag posts for you know market researchers to say okay consumers are you know leaning a little more um this way rather than that but i think um at at a certain point you kind of got to be like this this is the future you know consumers don't know what this is yet this is an offering that hasn't been made um within a retail channel yet but once it's out there um consumer sentiment is likely going to change and they might warm up to the idea of you know this um copy being in spanish or um a beautiful bright looked at emot being front and center regardless of what the a B test was saying that we posted on our Instagram during the farmers' market days it was like yeah know, this picture that we think this is run. better people can figure it out <laughs> maybe not Passionate. It it. that's it's a little less unfamiliar <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um one of my last
0: questions before we we wrap up here is you guys um you know obviously got started you raised some money built a great brand beautiful packaging and now you guys are in why don't you tell us where you guys are i know you guys are in sprouts you guys are in safeway a bunch of markets like what's kind of the roadmap from from here in terms of how you guys think about growing and scaling the business
1: yeah so i mean as of today uh we're in a little over 600 doors across the u.s uh, the bulk of those being sprouts we just launched with sprouts right at the beginning of the summer um, and then yeah you know we've been trialing a, a few uh you know short-term activations with uh with Safeway mostly in norcal and then we just picked one up down here in the uh, Albertson southern region right here in our home state um but yeah outside of that lots of independents mostly more so in the natural channel um, another one of our big retailers and and really our was our first retailer was foxtrot um, who opened up you know, some distribution into Chicago, which we had never anticipated uh, moving into the Midwest, uh, especially our first year of launching, which I, I vaguely remember even like joking around, like let's launch this thing in the Midwest just to see how it does or something. But, you know, we we had the opportunity to kind of jump into a retailer like Foxtrot um, and we just kind of, we bit it off and, and ran with it. Um, and Chicago ended up being one of our, our bigger metros right now, which is crazy. But, um, yeah, you know, just, just a little over 600 doors. Um, we're mostly focused in the natural channel with that being said, really trying to build off the sprouts momentum, hopefully get up to, uh, some larger natural retailers in the next few months. Uh, but mostly focused on Texas and California for, uh, you know, the next, you know, I'd say six to, to 12 months. Um, we got some good distribution down here in Texas and then in California as well uh, and really want to grow those markets a little bit more. Um, but yeah, yeah, kind of picking off uh, as many like national natural retailers as we can and, and really kind of hounding our, our, our home markets and the markets that we have some, you know, kick ass distribution in.
0: What is it? What does it look like from a like manufacturing and a, a scaling perspective to be able to meet the demands of, you know, a national supplier like Sprouts? And then if you guys have ambition to get in more, like how are you guys handling that on the back end?
1: Yeah, we're, we're still figuring it out. Uh, no, just kidding. But partly, uh, yeah, it, it was definitely a big, a big shift compared to what we're used to. Um, luckily, we I, I think what's really helped us is uh mostly working in in that smaller co-packer in the early days it, it kind of allowed us to be super super hands-on and intimately familiar with our formula you know what works and what doesn't work um where the pain points are and everything like that things to look out for um which makes finding you know uh, other contract manufacturers co-packers um a little bit easier and at least you can you know have some confidence when you roll in there that you know it's it's less of like shotgunning you know it shotgunning and seeing what seeing if it tastes right when it comes out of the line and everything like that but you know as far as scaling up goes it's it's something that we're in the weeds on right now um and luckily we've we built some really great co-packing relationships we got um some really helpful operational um you know contractors behind us too that are helping us grow it at a at the right scale that we need it to be but um you know it's as simple as ordering more juice and, and, and more cans. But, uh, you know, when, when you have a a solid co-packer, uh, that can kind of grow with you, um, at, at your scale and where you want to be, um, you know, in, in 12 to 18 months, um, it helps things a lot. And the, the financing component of it is, a um, it's a slightly different story for sure, but this is, a yeah, I can, I can speak for both of us for sure where this is, probably the easiest it has ever been for us to raise capital um you know with some great historical sales behind us and some impressive velocity figures it is much different than you know raising money out of a farmer's market or with like 10, 10 G's in lifetime sales. It's a different story now. So um, Now it's building all of the systems to ensure we're able to scale um, effectively and, and speaking to the right people um, on our cap table or people in our network who, who want us to win, who have done the song and dance within their own CPG businesses or who are currently um, chief financial officers of a CPG business or COOs down the line. So we like having these subject matter experts in our back pockets to help inform any SOP we need to build here at Bowie. And now that we're beginning to hire more people, it's abundantly helpful that we pay our network and incorporate all of these learnings into any systems we're creating internally. But it's uh, it's getting so big, we have to delegate, which is a, a great problem to have. You know, The business is kind of forcing us to... Have to um, add team members and give them uh, job descriptions and responsibilities that are just um, out of out of our scope at this point. There just aren't enough hours in the day for Jordan and I to um, handle everything. So we're uh, we're excited to be scaling this quickly, but it's uh, and
0: uh, for everyone listening that wants to follow along with the brand, connect with you guys. Why don't you give a shout out to uh, where we can find the brand
1: online? Where can we find you guys online? Totally. So for Bowie socials, um, you can find us uh, on Instagram at drinkbowie. And our website is, uh, unsurprisingly, drinkbowie.com. My Insta handle is bic.h.g. And I'm also... Stuart Drew twitter um i don't think i can call it x at wardiola <laughs> it's v and the rest of my last name so b-u-a-r-d-i-o-l-a i can't say that again for my own good um too many yes. yeah you, you can find me on instagram too just Jordan H 98 Awesome. Well, thanks
0: so much guys for coming on the show. Love learning about Bali. You guys are crushing it. Um, keep it up. And thanks for thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it, y'all. Thanks for having us. Thank you guys. Glorious, Thanks for having us. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.